Thank you all for being here this morning. Appreciate the effort you made to get up on a Sunday morning to come out, participate with us in worship of our Lord and Savior, Jesus Christ. God's an awesome God. He takes really good care of us. And uh, I think it's a great thing to be able to come and, and show Him some respect and honor and uh, show Him how much we really do care collectively. I know we do it every day, but I think it's a good thing to come together and do it as well and uh, participate in that with those around us that also enjoy His presence and enjoy being with Him. We're in the middle of a series um, entitled Life-Changing Attitudes. And uh, there's many attitudes that we've looked at. Back to the beginning, it was, it was accountability. And we talked about compassion. And we talked about financial freedom. This morning, we're going to talk about surrender. Gentlemen, about the age of 30 or 35, somewhere in that range, sitting on the edge of his old wooden boat. You could hear the waves crashing up against the shore, and as they pulled the pebbles down across each other, it would make the normal sound. Each time the wave would hit, the man would think, well, it's, it's about time. It's about time to push off and get out to where we can try to catch some fish. He sat waiting patiently and somewhat impatiently. The two young men that were planning to go out with him as they did over and over and over every night we're running a little behind this morning. I don't really, shouldn't really say this morning. It was just a couple hours after dark. These men would fish all night long. And as you look out across the sea, the moonlight, the western moonlight coming over the ridge of the Judean mountains would reflect off the water. But as you looked out across the water, you could see many other boats, many other wooden, old wooden boats out there in the water. Some had wooden oars, and there was one man sitting in the middle and the two on either end. That was this man's job this, this, this evening as well. Finally, the two boys came running down the, down the shoreline, and The older man sort of grumbled a bit, and, and then they jumped in and shoved off. There wasn't a lot of words. The older man with big bulky shoulders and rock-hard hands put his hands to the oars and began to push out into the, the deep. With his back to the Judean hill, he pushed on and on until he made it to where he wanted to start fishing for the night. The two young men on either end also rock hard hands from fishing every night over and over and over again. Began throwing the nets. Give them a good toss and the net would spray out as far as you could see and then, and then fall. And each time as they pull up the net back into the boat, they came up empty. Peter grumbled a little bit again and pushed off and then they went up to where the, the spring ran into the lake and they tried to fish there. 
and still nothing. Over and over and over again, they'd cast their nets and pull them back in and found nothing. They tried the points, they tried the shallows, they tried the deep. Each and every time came up empty-handed. Until about 4.30, between 4.30 and 5 o'clock in the morning, the sun began to rise. Many of the boats began to pull back into where they came from to be done for the night. Peter, James, and John pulled back into the cove where they parked their boats, pulled up onto the shore, and as they got there, there was already someone there. Actually, lots of people were already there. Peter was a little grumbly again because he didn't want people to be there when you didn't have any fish in your boat. The young boys would come up and ask questions. Well, well, what'd you catch tonight? What did you see? What did you? What do you have? Because those little boys would want to come up and poke and and feel and touch and play with whatever it is that was in the boat. But tonight there was nothing. This morning they came in empty-handed. Nothing in the boats to show, but the crowd was there, and they one that they had known or they had come to know as Jesus was standing about knee-deep in the water. And he was preaching to the crowd. He was teaching them. As Peter, James, and John pulled their boats up, Jesus turned around and said, Peter, can I use your boat? Peter said, sure. So he pushed off a little ways because the creator, once again, of, of sound and the creator of the, the entire place where they were knew that if he could push off a little bit out into the water that more people would be able to hear the teaching that was coming from Jesus' lips. So Peter sat behind Jesus in the boat and as Jesus stood in front and, ta and taught and preached and, and the, all the people listened, he tried to keep Jesus facing the crowd as best he could. He would dip one oar in and give it a little push just to keep him facing the right direction. And all morning he listened as Jesus taught. We pick up the story in Luke chapter 5, starting in verse 1. Look at it with me. Luke chapter 5, starting in verse 1. One day as Jesus was preaching on the shore of the Sea of Galilee, great crowds pressed in on him to listen to the word of God. He noticed two empty boats at the water's edge. Don't, don't rub it in that they're empty. Jesus noticed two empty boats at the water's edge, for the fishermen had left them and were washing their nets. And stepping into one of the boats, Jesus asked Simon, its owner, to push out into the water. So he sat in the boat and taught the crowds from there. When he had finished speaking, he said to Simon, Now, go out where it is deeper and let down your nets to catch some fish. Peter's like, what? What? Master Simon replied, We worked hard all night last night and didn't catch a thing. But if you say so, I'll let down the nets again. And this time... Their nets were so full of fish that they began to tear. A shout for help brought their partners, 
in another boat, and soon both boats were filled with fish on the verge of sinking. When Simon Peter realized what had happened, he fell to his knees before Jesus, and he said, Oh Lord, please leave me. I'm too much of a sinner to be around you. For he was awestruck at the number of fish that they had caught, as were the others with him. His partners, James and John, the sons of Zebedee, were amazed. Jesus replied to Simon, Don't be afraid, for now, from now on, you'll be fishing for people. And as soon as they landed, as soon as that bow of the boat hit the shore, Peter, James, and John left everything. And what did they do? They followed Jesus. We're not told how many fish were in the boat that night. We're not told how many fish they caught. But that was a huge catch. And I've seen many fishermen go out. You've watched the shows. I, I saw one just the other day. Uh, port, uh, port Protection, I think it's called. And a, an older gentleman takes his big, huge boat out on the water to catch some fish. And he comes home with two king salmon. One king salmon he tries to sell. The other king salmon he gives to the store owner in town. Two fish. That's what he was supposed to live on for that day or the two days that he, that he had. All that effort, all that work. Do you know what these boys did? They left what they had and followed him. We're going to talk about surrender this morning. Surrendering isn't a bad plan. Although we think that surrender is giving up, we think that, that surrender is, is taking who I am and just completely changing who I am to be what God wants me to be. It's not what God did with Peter. What God did with Peter was he took what Peter was good at and he used it for him. Surrendering isn't a bad plan. Surrender starts when we realize who we are, and who God is. Peter got there that day, that morning. He was there. He had a therefore moment. First, Jesus just takes his boat. You notice it, that Jesus didn't come to Peter and say, Peter, you're going to be a, you're going to be a preacher, Peter. You're going you're gonna to preach a sermon in front of a, a multitude of people, probably eight Nine, ten thousand people in, in, in just a few short years. What would Peter have said? Peter said, no. No, you're crazy. Peter would have taken his oar and smacked Jesus over the back of the head and said, get out of here, crazy man. I'm a fisherman. But Jesus didn't ask for that. Jesus said, can I use your boat, Peter? You might be there. 
You might be coming to church. You might be checking out this thing called Christianity. You might have a little bit of interest there. Realize that it's a progression. God doesn't want you to completely annihilate the entire, your entire existence. God just wants to take you and place you in His kingdom. He just wants you to be His rather than yours. Peter comes to a realization that he was not the type of person that should be next to Jesus. It's like, I am not worthy to be in your presence. You've been there, haven't you? You've felt that feeling. Look at, look at me. I am not the one that you want. I am not the one that you need. Maybe we've come to that realization. Oh, Peter's done here. Peter is completely done. He slides all of his chips across the table and he says, you know what, God? I am, I'm in. He doesn't even keep a hand to fall back on. He walks away from everything that's his and turns it over to God. Surrender starts when we realize who we are and who God is. The act of surrender is defined by who we surrender to. Surrender's always been, you know, always considered a bad thing. You know, there's a, in the, in the ring, there's, a, you know, a tap out. And, and that's just a bad thing. It's like kind of giving up. You, you, you hear throwing in the towel. You hear raise the white flag. The word surrender is a scary word. But it doesn't have to be. Let me show you a positive side. August 24th, 1996. I stood on a very, very large platform. About six steps, eight, maybe eight or nine steps down to the floor. And you look up and there's rows and rows and rows of seats. As far as your eye can see almost. And clear up in the back of the, of the room is a doorway. The light was peeking through the windows right behind me. And believe it or not, in the shape of a cross. It's the coolest thing. As I stood there with family and friends, a beautiful lady, a beautiful young girl entered the room from way in the back with her father. And I said, I I can't believe she's going to go through with this. And she walked all the way down that long aisle. Seemed like it took her forever to get down. They finally made it. And then her dad actually let go of her. And she walked up the steps with her. Took her a lot of work to get up the steps because you had a 12-foot train behind her. We vowed to each other, for better, for worse, for richer, for poorer, for sickness, in sickness and in health, till death do us part. She became mine and I became hers. It was surrender. Marriage is surrender. But who you surrender to makes all the difference in the world. 
Because if that person isn't surrendered to God, if that person doesn't want to put their life in God's hands, then you're in a big mess. Because you've just surrendered to something that is surrendered to only themselves. God can change people. I understand that. But I want you to understand that there's no place that I would rather be. There's no place I'd rather be than a home. I like to hang out with people. I like to hang out with all of you. But I love to spend time with my wife. Surrender to her is such a good thing. It has changed who I am. It's made me the servant God wants me to be. Surrender is a good thing, but surrender is defined by who you surrender to. Jesus told Peter, Peter, you're a fisherman, but now I want you to fish for people. He calls each of us to a different type of surrender. We're not all called to go overseas to Africa. We're not all called to go into the ministry. We're not all called to adopt. We're not all called to go into the marketplace or serve a nonprofit like what's in this building. It's diverse and it's beautiful. He calls each of us to a different type of surrender. You may be surrendering to one thing, where I may be completely surrendered to a, something completely different, but we're all surrendered to something. And if we've given our lives to God, then we're surrendered to Him. I'll make two statements, and they sound like contradictory statements. But number one, the hardest thing about surrendering is no longer being in charge. It's hard to surrender. It's hard to realize that, you know what, I'm no longer in charge. She's in charge, or he's in charge, or they're in charge. Surrender is a difficult thing. Everything I have, everything I am becomes someone else's, becomes God's. The fishermen dropped their nets. They left their boats behind. They left their livelihood. They left everything they knew behind and followed him. They were professionals, but their real work had just begun. The work that had eternal consequences had just begun. The hardest thing about surrendering is no longer being in charge. No longer allowing other things to be in charge. The title of the message today is Surrender. Whose name is on your title? There's vehicles in the parking lot. Each one of them has a piece of paper. In the state of Colorado, it's gone from sort of a three-quarters of a sheet of paper to a full eight and a half by 11 sheet of paper. If you have an older vehicle and you've had it for a long time, you have a small one. It looks about, like, about that big. If you've purchased your vehicle within the last mm, eight or ten years, it's a little bit bigger. And that title has someone's name on it. And that vehicle, that name on that title belongs to that vehicle, which means that the vehicle belongs to a particular person. If you sign the back of that title, 
that title becomes open. It becomes available. I have one sitting on my counter right now that's open and available. It's been signed. If you break into my house later, we don't have to break into my house probably most of the time it's unlocked. If you walk into my house and you pick up that title and you write your name on the other side, that vehicle becomes yours. Well, with a little bit of paperwork and pay mistake, absorbent amounts of money, that vehicle becomes yours, right? The same thing happens or sort of, sort of happens with us. Our value, our identity, our life's mission has someone's name on it. I hope it has someone's name on it and not something's name on it. Because you are owned by someone or something. You are owned by what consumes you. What you do, what you participate in, what you spend your money on, that's who owns you. And when you give your life to God, he puts his name on that title. And you're no longer your own. You're no longer belong to your boss. You no longer belong to your school. You no longer belong to anything but him. But you know what? I think we leave our titles open often. And we sign our titles often. And we say, you know what? I'm going to open up this title. And I'm going to give it to, mm, that's a really cool car. I'm going to give it to that car today. Um, that's, you know, I, I really want to pour my whole self into my job. And I'm going to sign my name over it. And I'm going to let my job put its name on my title. And we become consumed in nothing more than that job or that car or that house or that kid or that the list could go on and on and on. Let God fill in his name and leave it in his name. The hardest thing about surrendering is realizing that you're no longer in charge. It's no longer what you want. It's what God wants. It's no longer what, how I want to run my life. It's how God wants to run my life. All of these things fight for our attention and, our, and who we are. Hardest thing about straining is no longer being in charge. But I want to flip it around. The best thing about surrendering is no longer being in charge. The nets came up empty all night long. My nets come up empty many, many times too. It's a pleasure knowing that now he's in charge. It's okay if the nets come up empty because that's what he wanted. That's what God had designed. It's a pleasure knowing. It's all his ball game. It doesn't matter what we do. Yesterday we won a, a softball game by the flip of a coin. <clears throat> one team standing right here, one team standing right there, and we were tied in the 10th inning and they had a tournament to run and they had to move on, so they had to flip a coin to see who decided to win. I've never won a softball game that way before. It becomes all his ball game. There's a heads on both sides of that coin. And every time you flip it, every time you flip it, it lands on 
I'm God's. I'm His. Every time, it doesn't matter what surface it lands on, it doesn't matter if you try to suspend it in midair, we leave it in His hands. It's God's ball game. When I don't see the things going the way I would like, when someone points out that I, I don't have or can't do what others can, I just remember. Scoreboard. I know who wins at the end. It doesn't matter what I have. It doesn't matter what I can't do. It doesn't matter how much money I don't have or how much money I do have. I'm going to win in the end. All this other little <coughs> silly stuff around here is not going to matter. If my name's written in the Lamb's Book of Life and I'm His, if His name is on my title, we win. That's a beautiful thing. That's the best thing about surrender. Here's the greatest thing. We live in a crazy world. Have you been to Boulder lately? Anybody been to Boulder lately? I highly recommend staying a long ways away from that place. That place is crazy. It is crazy. There's crazy people over there. There's, I mean, just crazy things. But anyway, but this world's kind of crazy, isn't it? There's a lot of things going on in this world that are just kind of scary. And when my 13-year-old was born, it, it was a scary world, but it was, you know, there's still some good. Eight months ago, nine months ago, when Corbin was born, I said, man, alive. Just think what it's going to be like when he's 18, when he's... How much is the world going to change? What kind of things is he going to be able to put his head into? Scary. We live in a crazy world. Being a husband and father of four. It's a beautiful thing. Because I'm no longer in charge. I'm no longer responsible for my family. I'm responsible to them, but not for them. When I sign my name... When I love God's name to be signed on my title, he becomes in charge. It's his family. It's his deal. It's his, his plan. And when I just live it, when I just follow along with it, when I'm following God like he wants me to, he makes sure everything falls into place where he wants. And I'm not saying that there's not cancer cells growing within my children. I'm not saying that there might be. But you know what? He's got his hand in it. It's his deal. And it's a beautiful thing. Because I can take my <coughs> responsibility, I can take my worry, I can take my frustration of it out of it. Picture. I don't have to worry about it anymore. Because it's his. It's his deal. I start looking around and I, I wonder. It's like, how do, how do people play Christian? I, I don't know how some people do it. How they're constantly taking their lives back from God and, and claiming their own rights. How do you sleep at night not knowing how it's going to turn out? Everything you do all day on your own power and in your own ways. I can't handle it. I can't do it. I wouldn't be able to function if I knew it was all up to me. And I understand that some are in that spot. Right here, right now. There may be some that you're worried about what's going to happen with your job on Monday. You're worried about what's going to happen with your kids this week. You're worried 
about what the school year has to offer this year. Maybe you're starting a new school. Maybe you're starting a new grade. You have a new teacher. Maybe you have a new boss. It's difficult to think about if you don't allow God to call the shots. Surrender's a beautiful thing. And the best thing about surrendering is you no longer are in charge. A year and a half later, in Mark chapter 8, we pick up the story. Starting in verse 27. Jesus said his disciples went into Jesus and his disciples went into the village of Caesarea Philippi. On the way, he asked them, Who do people say that I am? So, what's the word on the street? Who's, who do they say that I am? Well, the, the disciples began to banter and talk back and forth. And you know, some, of you, some of them say you're John the Baptist. And some of them say that you're Elijah. And still others, one of the prophets. Jesus says, no, no, no. Hold on a second. Who do you say that I am? Peter's been waiting for this moment. He jumped up and stood at the front of the disciples and he said, you are the Messiah. You are the Christ. And Christ is not just Jesus' last name. You understand that Christ is a descriptive term. Messiah is the one who is supposed to save the nation. You are the Messiah. Jesus then warned them not to tell anyone about him. He then began to teach him the Son of Man would would suffer many things and be rejected by elders and chief priests and teachers of the law and that he must be killed and after three days rise again. He plainly spoke about this. And Peter, still standing close to the front, said, uh, no, 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 no. Hold on a second. Guys, give us a second. So he took Jesus aside. He pulled him over here to the side. And he he began to explain to Jesus, you know what? You you got this whole heaven and earth thing. And you've you've got this, you know, you're God's son. And I understand that. And you're the Messiah. But... But this whole plan of you going in and giving yourself up is just a, it's a bad idea. I live here on this earth, and I know how this is, and I know how this is going to turn out, and it, this is just not a good idea. Verse 33. When Jesus turned and looked at his disciples, he made sure they were looking. He made sure they were, they were paying attention now. He distances himself from Peter and he says, this, right here, this is Satan. Gentlemen, this is Satan. Wow. Put yourself in Peter's shoes at this point. You've been following this guy for a, a year and a half. You do not have in mind the concerns of God, but merely human concerns. Jesus said it. Anytime we have concerns of men, we are satanic. We need to let God call the shots. Every time, 
all the time, each and every time. It doesn't matter what time it is, God should call the shots. It doesn't matter what type of decision it is, God should call the shots. Let's define it. Surrender is a daily mindset. It's not a one-time decision. It's not something you could say right now, right here this morning, okay, I'm I'm done. I'm going to give God my life. Well, praise God for that, but it's more than that. It's a constant, ongoing thing. We tend to think of that our way is right, and we constantly telling God, yes, yeah, we know, we know that you are God, but, but I got this, right? We try to take it back from him. I try to take it back from him all the time. It's like, well, well hold on a second, God. I, I know that that's the way you think I should go, but I think this way is better. Right then, right, right there in that spot, Jesus pushes himself away from me, and he says, you know what? This is Satan. That's satanic. When I try to take my concerns back from God and try to worry about them myself, that is satanic. That's not surrender. That's not allowing God to take on what it is that God is designed to take on. Look at verse 34. Then calling to the crowd to join the disciples, he said, If anyone wants wants to be my follower, you must turn from your selfish ways. Take up your cross and follow me. If you try to hang on to your life, you will lose it. But if you give up your life for my sake and for the sake of the good news, the gospel of Jesus Christ, you will save it. And what do you benefit if you gain the whole world but lose your own soul? If anything is anything worth more than your soul? Man, that's one, that's one beautiful, beautiful thing. That $100 bill is such a beautiful thing. That, that beautiful girl is such a beautiful thing. That, that handsome man is such a beautiful thing. That child of mine is such a beautiful thing. That job is so beneficial. It's all rubbish. It's all garbage when we think that that's what consumes us, that that's what our life should be wrapped around. Let me tell you something. It's either God's plan or it's your plan. And guess what? He makes a better God than you. He makes a better God than me. He is God. It's not us. It's Him. And when we surrender to Him, life goes so much better. Surrender surrender is a daily mindset, not a one-time decision. And surrender is really surrender. It's not a treaty. God, I'm going gonna, I'm gonna to do this if you make sure that I'm married by the end of this year. God, I'm going to come to this place because my family's a mess and you'll fix it. Then I'll join in. God, I'm going to come to this church and I'm going to play the part. And I'll even put a little tip in the box if, if you help me get this raise and promotion at work. God, I'm going to play this part if, if you don't let anything, anyone find out about my past. Church, it's not a treaty. We're not making deals with God. When the commander says, troops, lay down your weapons, we're throwing the white flag. And they crawl out of the foxhole and they approach the enemy with the white flag in hand and they're surrendering. Does the commander come up and have a list of demands? Say, we'll surrender if you do this and this and this and this and this and this and this. No. 
surrender is surrender. You give all. It's not a treaty. Surrender to God is when we eliminate all the other gods from our life. Gods with a little g from our lives. And replace him with them. Galatians chapter 2 and verse 20 states it very plainly. It says, I have been crucified with Christ. And I no longer live, but Christ lives in me. The life I now live in the body, I live by faith in the Son of God who loved me and gave himself for me. What actually took place is this. I tried keeping rules and working my head off to please God, and it didn't work. So I quit being a lawman so I could be God's man. Christ's life showed me how and enabled me to do it. I identified myself completely with Him. Indeed, I have been crucified with Christ. My ego is no longer central. It is no longer important that I appear righteous before you or have, have your good opinion. And I'm no longer driven to impress God. Christ lives in me. The life you see me living is not mine, but it is lived by faith in the Son of God who loved me and gave himself for me. I'm not going to go back on that. It's not clear to you what to, that, that to go back to you is, is, is old rule-keeping and peer-pleasing that type of religion would be an abandonment of everything personal and, and free of my relationship with God. I refuse to do that. That would, that would nullify God's grace. If a living relationship with God could come by rule keeping, then Christ died unnecessarily. Church, we're not here to look pretty. We're not here to act pretty. We're here to live in Christ. We're here to surrender to Him. The passage of Scripture that we've taken this series from is Romans chapter 12, verse 1 and 2. And it says this. It says, so here's what I want you to do. God helping you take your everyday, ordinary life. You're sleeping, you're eating, you're going to work, and you're walking around life. And place it before God as an offering. Embracing what God does for you in the, as the best thing you can do for Him. Don't become so well-adjusted in your culture that, that you fit into it without even thinking. Instead, fix your attention on God. You'll be changed from the inside out, from the inside out. Readily recognize what He wants from you and quickly respond to it. Unlike the culture around you, always dragging you down to its level of immaturity, God brings the best out of you, develops well-formed maturity in you. So let's talk about how to surrender. How do you do it? We need to have a mindset that it's God's kingdom, not ours. This place doesn't belong to us. It belongs to him. Matthew chapter 6, Jesus is teaching how to pray. It says, this is how you should pray. Our Father in heaven, hallowed be thy name. Look at this next phrase. Your kingdom come, your will be done on earth as it is in heaven. It's His kingdom. It's God's kingdom. It's His world. We have to take the mindset that it's God's, not ours. And we have to daily ask ourselves, how would God want me to manage His life? Husbands, the father-in-law has been watching you. 
And he's going to ask someday, how did you treat my daughter? Your wife is his daughter first. He is going to hold you responsible for how you treat his daughter. Ladies, the father-in-law is going to ask someday, how did you take care of my son? Parents, grandpa's going to come ask someday, how did you treat my grandchildren? Those little rugrats running around, those little tricycle motors. He's going to ask, how did you take care of them? How did you nurture them? How did you love on them? In a few minutes in your discussion groups, you're going to read a passage of Scripture in Matthew chapter 25, starting in verse 14. This passage of Scripture is very common. It's very, we read it often. But I want you to, in your discussion group, I want you to read all the way through it. I want you to read it word for word from verse 14 down to verse 30. But I want us to focus on one verse right now. Verse 19. It says, After a long time, the master returned from his trip and called them to what? Give an account of how they had used his money. Understand that God's going to ask that same question. How did you take care of? How did you manage my life? Because when our life becomes his, it's his life now. He's going to ask us, how did you take care of my life? Short time later, Simon Peter, big broad shoulders, bulky shoulders, rock hard hands, sitting on the shore, having a meal. John chapter 21 and verse 15 begins with, When they finished eating, Jesus said to Simon Peter, Simon, son of John. That's like when you use your middle name on your kids. Cameron Elizabeth. And she's over here freaking out right now. Jesus says, Simon Peter, son of John, do you love me more than these? He answered, yes, Lord, I love you. You know that I love you. Jesus said, feed my lambs. Again, Jesus said, Simon, son of John, do you love me? He answered, yes, Lord, you know that I love you. Jesus said, take care of my sheep. And a third time he said, Simon, son of John, do you love me? By this time, Peter was hurt. It's like, what? I said yes like twice already. He was hurt. Because Jesus had asked him a third time, do you love me? And Peter said again, Lord, you know everything. You know that I love you. He said to him, feed my sheep. I tell you the truth, when you were younger, you tied your own belt and you, and you went where you wanted to. But when you are old, you will put, you, you'll put out your hands and someone else will... Will, will tie you and take, take you where you want to go. Jesus said this to show Peter how Peter would die and give glory to God. 
then Jesus said to Peter, follow me. Peter turned and saw that the follower Jesus loved was walking behind them. This was a follower that, that had leaned against Jesus at the, at the Last Supper, and he said to him, will, will I the, be the one that turns against you? When Peter saw him behind them, he asked Jesus, Lord, what about him? What about that guy? Jesus answered, If I want him to live until I come back, that is none of your business. You follow me. We get so concerned about how much someone else is surrendering, how much someone else is following God. Well, you know, they don't do very much over there. You know, they don't care that much. And they don't, they don't give God everything. And they're holding back here, holding back there. And if I want him to live in the mansion up on top of the hill and give him everything that I want to give him and bless him with every possible blessing, give him the best possible job, give him the most healthiest kids and give him everything that, that I want to give him, that's none of your business. You follow me. Jesus doesn't want you to be like the person sitting next to you. He doesn't want you to be like anybody else in the world. He wants you to be you. He wants you to be the person that he made you to be. Your individuality, your personality, your traits, your talents, your everything is what God wants to be his. Everything you are belongs to him. We just need to give it. It's an absolutely beautiful thing when we allow ourselves to be completely distracted by everything else in the world and not be distracted by everything else in the world, not be distracted by all the, what people are saying, what people are thinking, what people are doing. Just be focused on what God wants out of me. It's a beautiful thing. We can just surrender. We can just give it up to Him. We can just trust that He is the one that's going to take us where we want to go. If I want him to live till I come back, that's none of your business. You follow me. God's message, your move. Next week attitude. Next week attitude is desired. It's one that everybody wants. But it's completely undesirable. How's that possible? Guess you'll have to come next week and find out. The attitude that we've discussed today, though, is surrender. And I know that there's room in each and every one of our lives to give more of ourselves to Him. We're holding back. We're not letting Him have every part of who we are. Let's give it up and let's give it back to God. Thank you for your attention this morning. I appreciate it. I pray and hope that there's things that we've been able to share this morning that can bless your life, that can change your life. Because it's all about our attitudes. If we can have an attitude of surrender when it comes to every part of our lives, God will see to it that He takes care of us. We need to trust in Him to do that. In just a few minutes, we will uh, dismiss and uh, the kids will go to class. 
and we'll be able to uh, sit down and have some discussion time. The discussion guides are right here on the podium, and I will put them on top so you can see them. The discussion guides are here. We make some circles with some chairs, and um, we'll uh, dive in just a little bit more and discuss those things. And, uh,